Hello everyone, welcome to episode 5 of the Not Ready to Adult Yet podcast. This podcast is out only a few hours, not mad late, but a few hours late. I apologise if I'm being honest, and I will be. I watched the England game last night and forgot to record this intro, so I do apologise very much. But today is a very exciting episode. Thank you for all the support so far on the podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to give us a subscribe. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating. Let's get soaring up those charts. Try and get back our number one spot. Um, A few exciting things before the podcast begins. I never know whether to put this at the beginning or the end. So if you want to have it at the end, maybe drop me a message or something. But I think, you know, it's still quite interesting stuff. Basically, a few things to tell you about my tour, You Okay, Hun? It starts again in September. This is the third and final extension. So if you want to come see me live, you can check out my website, iandoesjokes.com, and all the dates are there. Also, this is a Not Ready to Adult Yet podcast. It is in conjunction with my book, Not Ready to Adult Yet. And this is exciting. The original launch date of the book was the 23rd of August. But we've got everything sorted early. And we've managed to move the ebook release date. And the ebook is going to be released, drum roll please, on, I'm double checking, yes, tomorrow. Probably, well, not tomorrow, depends when you're listening to this bloody thing, innit? July the 5th, Thursday. So for me, tomorrow, the book is out. For many of you listening to this, you can download. Not ready to adult yet. The book available as an ebook to download. Put it on your Kindle. Put it on your 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 iPhone. Put it on your Android device. You can get it now. This is all very very exciting, man. And it's all down to you guys. The success of the podcast, the success of Love Island. Let's be honest and everything else. So we we just brought it out now. It was there ready to go. So we thought, why the fuck not? So it's out. Go and get it. Um, just to let you all know, if you did pre-order the hardback copy, you will get that now on the 9th of August, which is the official release date, um, and you still got your £5 discount. So hopefully that's all right with everybody. Um, is that everything? I think that's everything. Now on um, to episode five with Ed Gamble. Ed Gamble, stand-up comedian, frequently seen on Mock the Week, which is one of my favourite shows on television. I can't get on it because I'm not as good at Ed as being um, funny around the table. But he's absolutely incredible, man. Do you know what? Normally I give a rundown of what we talk about in each episode, but I feel like you're about to listen to it. And I've waffled on quite a bit at the beginning about other stuff I'm doing, so... Let's just get into it. I've known Ed pretty much since I started stand-up. I think he's amazing. Um, when I was uh, at school, I used to go to Edinburgh Festival to watch stuff, and I became obsessed with the Durham Review. And the Durham Review had Ed Gamble, uh, Nish Kumar, and Tom Neenan, who are now all fantastic comics and good friends. So really funny that I was sort of like fanboyed over them a little bit when they were at university and the Durham Review, and they were all fellow performers and writers. Anyway, that's all for just now. I'll speak to you a little bit at the end. We might, you know, who knows what we'll talk about. We'll find out. But right now, here is episode five of the Not Ready Had It Yet podcast with the fantastic Ed Gamble. 
Five years old. Not a lot of restaurant in Akambali Tama own shoes. Ten years old. Favorite chocolate bar is about all I'm expected to choose. Eighteen years old. Alarm bells ringing, but I'ma just set them to snooze. Twenty something. For which I mean thirty. How did this happen? What do I do? My job is a mess. My boss is a stress. No overdraft left. I don't know what is best. Got me waking in a cold sweat. Not ready to adult yet. Hi, Ed Gamble. Hi, Ed Sterling. Let's start it now. Is it started now? This is it. This is the podcast. Such no. a professional start. You not noticed on podcasts that most like the American ones, they'll just come in halfway through a conversation. We uh, should do that on this. It started already, but you, you've unfortunately you've started it in a very uh, in a very Scottish way of just going. It's starting now. This is it now. <laughs> right, everyone, sit down. Shut the fuck up. There's a podcast happening right now. <laughs> I don't. Re- I've not done that many still. How many have you done? Um, your number, I'm gonna put, I just realised we've not got, this is so unprofessional, we've not got coasters for the cups and it's a glass table. I don't think, I think, you know, the podcast thing is sort of supposed to be laid is, back, right? I come from like a television background, you yeah, see. You don't need to worry, man, it's fine. People want to be listening to this, imagining they're having a coffee with us on a yeah. glass table. Well, you, yeah, you are, you can get on this glass table, you can do whatever you want on a glass table. <laughs> you're listening to this podcast. But I, that's the one thing that always, in, do you ever get this in TV, the thing that infuriates me in TV recordings? Especially when I'm presenting it, because you've got to do pickups, and like the director will be like, the curtain's open in the back of that shot. And I'm like, no one's watching this TV show where Joey Essex has to guess what's in a box, <laughs> noticing that a curtain's slightly open and then turning the channel over. It's a real burn on the TV show if they're like, we need to make the background as the least distracting as possible <laughs> because there's not enough content up front. I do worry that maybe the stuff I do just doesn't have enough content that those sorts of things are up in. But do you get that when you're filming TV stuff? Do you find it quite laborious or do you quite enjoy the I like seeing the process. I don't think I still do enough of it to get bored by the little things. I still find it quite an exciting yeah. novelty. So I'm like, what does that mean? What are all these terms that they're using? I suppose also the stuff that the nature of the stuff that you do as well it has to be you're in and you're out. There's yeah. not many. Have you have you done any like sort of presenter led stuff or anything like that? No, yeah. not really. Have you got any interest in that sort of thing? I don't I mean if it's the right show. Yeah. I don't have an interest in being a presenter just on anything. Yeah, you're not like the next I, Rick Edwards. I'm not, the, I'm not the next Rick Edwards. Rick Edwards is absolutely amazing, isn't he? He's it? so gorgeous um, as well. So, <laughs> so no, I'm, not, I'm not, certainly not the, the next Rick Edwards. And I always find it, when you go in and you're a guest on something, mm-hmm. and so I've, you know, I've been a guest on things that you've presented. Yes, I've been you a have. guest on things that like, mates are presenting and other comics. And I always think it looks so difficult to actually present something, having to being in control of the whole show yeah. whilst also being fun and funny yeah and then like i come in like me and other dicks come in and we're like <laughs> just like making fun of everything yeah having and, like, like yeah, talking yeah. while you're trying to do a link yeah, and stuff. yeah. you're actually very well behaved <laughs> but some people is it bill burnett done that thing about he likes going on other people's shows yeah he's like i don't want to own a yacht i want to just show up one evening with like a six-pack drink them and then leave yeah. again well that's it isn't it you just want to you just want to be in there for three hours take the piss and everyone goes that guy's funny and you go yeah look at that boring dweeb presenter see you later yeah that's me i'm such a boring dweeb presenter sometimes <laughs> what were we saying before oh yeah so what were we saying before at the beginning this is now the way we cut in i can't remember 
We were talking about something really good at the beginning and I started talking about curtains being open on TV shows. <laughs> we were just talking about uh, coffee cups on glass tables. Oh yeah, that was it. And then we were talking about the way other people start podcasts, which is halfway through a conversation. Oh, yeah. And we started it quite officially. Yeah, this is it. We're in now. Yeah. Do you like podcasts? I do. I love podcasts. You got, you're doing, are you doing one at the minute? Uh, yeah, I'm sort of in the, in the process of uh, recording episodes for one. For the it's, big launch. It, it, do you know what? It is that sort of thing as well. The thing with the whole podcast and it's blown my mind is like it is becoming like a... I remember the many comics maybe like three or four years ago that would do like a couple and I quite enjoy it and they just stopped doing that. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, now you've got a bit of a run up. You get some in the bag and the can. Yeah, exactly. You need to think about the launch strategy. Uh, it's a lot more of a professional thing. I'd say like quite often comedy here is about five or six years behind the states in terms of the trends mm. of things that are happening. You know what? That's so tr- yeah, exactly. So this now the podcast thing is finally kicking in here. I think I think lots more people have got one, um, and yeah, and the, the the setup's way more professional because I know when me and Ray Peacock used to do one, mm-hmm. it was it was not a professional setup at all. It was it was a lot of fun, but it was just in his flat recording through little mics. But then you were so ahead of the th- did you. So you done the Peacock and Gamble podcast? Mm-hmm. Well, it was the Ray Peacock podcast initially. Yes, it was, and then you then with who were the original? So it was team? me, uh, Ian Boldsworth, and Roger James mm-hmm. were the original three, uh, and then Roger didn't want to do it anymore, so it's just the Peacock and Gamble. <laughs> podcast. Have you listened to that podcast? You might know. It's just why. intense bullying, uh, which he was. He was on board with. He was on board with. Even if you are on board with it, eventually it might get sort of mentally tiring. Also. Also, as well as being the cutting edge of podcasts, that was the cutting edge of sort of social media becoming a platform for people to speak to their yes. celebrity friends. Yeah. So I can imagine that people online took your bullying and thought, I'll do that. I'll do that as well. Without the context of, oh, let's ignore the fact that they've clearly been friends for years yeah, exactly. and are doing it to the face and are recording it and editing it and putting out what he's comfortable with and I'll just send him abuse. Yeah. That's what, that's... Uh, it's the 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 good thing and the bad thing about podcasts is because it's sort of such a relaxed chat and it doesn't feel necessarily like overly formatted or mm-hmm. uh, people listen to it and think oh it's just like listening to a chat between my mates and I'm just sat there listening to them. But it also means that if they have access to you, they can sometimes be a little familiar. Yeah, because this is like I think podcast is probably about as personal as it gets in terms mm-hmm. of a medium that you can consume. It's straight in your ears, and you're normally straight in your ears, man. And also, you ca- straight in the old ears, <laughs> straight into the mind. And also, you tend to be doing something in isolation, in solitude, when you're listening to a podcast. Yeah. you can't be having family meal. No, exactly. And you've got me going. Oh, I was like glass table. It wouldn't work. Yeah, we're enjoying this. Put on our favourite podcast, please. We'll all sit around the fire and listen to it. It's not like last Oh, I do love Ian. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there is that weird thing where someone thinks that you're like that all the time. Yeah. Do you, I, would, you have, would you have done anything on that podcast differently? Had you known the way that the internet was going to go, podcasting was going to go? You no. Because you smashed it with that. And then it's, you, would you have... No, it was great. It was great fun. And I think we were quite early in the, in the podcasting mm-hmm. stuff. Because, uh, I mean, it was pretty much, I'm going to say we're sort of behind the States, but it was Gervais did pretty much the first yeah. podcast that I remember listening to. And then we were quite soon after that. Well, he, I mean, I remember when he famously started charging for it. Yeah. And people would pay for it. Yeah. And you're like, he's 
And even then, I feel like a lot of people didn't click. Like, this cost him nothing. Yeah. And he's selling it for the same, for more money than like an, an album. Yeah. And no one, I still think in the UK, people can't quite get their heads around that. Do you ever find when I'm touring and I'll be doing, if I do like a small room, my favorite, one of my favorite rooms is like the Cookie in Leicester. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like people will come up to me and be like, how is this like, how is this like your job? And I'm like, well, there is a hundred of you. Yeah. You've all paid <laughs> 15 quid and I'm here on my own. Like, do you mean without being a dick about it? Yeah. Do a little bit of the maths. I think people are still in that headset of like, if you're not playing the Hammers of Apollo with a yeah, team how are you around, making money? Yeah. yeah. And it is, that is the way this, the podcast and that takes it all now. I definitely think it's a new way of like, are you, we, I sometimes, I don't know about you, I get more excited about setting up like a podcast or doing something like that yeah. sometimes than actually doing telly things now yeah because it's on your own terms isn't it so and you can there's there's no one controlling this mm. at all even though we are in the off we are in the offices of our management yeah and this and this is the room i was saying to ed when he was asking where we were to meet this is the room this is like the important business room when you get taken into this room they've fu- they've either fucked up or you owe them money that's the only <laughs> reason you get brought into this room so it feels weird they've normally made a horrible mistake and they want to apologise yeah. or you or they need the money because it's uh, the, the offices are very nice but if you can imagine this that uh, through the back of the offices there's like sort of fire escape steps up to this office almost like it's almost like a like a, it's like hell but you're going up the way yeah it's like all beautiful and there's all like pictures of like Charlie Chaplin and all yeah. this sort of stuff and then you get into this room there's just like a fire <laughs> they've not done it up in years take him up the metal steps and then you go up the metal steps into this room that's like white with a telly yeah. it normally has a spreadsheet <laughs> on it and then an 18 year old looking at you with a, the eyes they're not saying it out loud but the eyes say I'm so sorry you know that you know that Bill Hicks bit where he talks about what he thinks happens when you become president, that you get taken into a room yeah, and they, yeah. they, they turn on a screen and they show the JFK assassination from an angle you've never seen before. <laughs> yeah. That's what I imagine this room to be like. This is what's happened. Yeah, they show you like <laughs> how much money the pleasants make during the Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> how much what Edinburgh Uni make on beer. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? So podcast is sort of almost the antithesis of the Edinburgh Fringe now. It's completely on your own terms. And... Yeah, imagine me and you pitching, going to our management room. Oh, well, here's an idea for a show. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to just chat. Ian's clearly not planned anything. And then we're going to slag off your management company for five minutes. Can we put that on Channel 4? And there's literally nothing you can do about it. And people will like it. People will like it more than they've liked most of my stuff on Twitter's to be believed. Which is weird. Stop reading Twitter, Ian. I've got to get off Twitter, mate. Twitter's quite nice to me now, actually. Yeah. Because of, like, Love Island. It's, just, I've got, yeah, it's only such really, a popular show. But I only... It's niche. What? Love Island's niche? Well, if you like Love... You don't... You don't stumble upon Love Island. I think you can easily... It's a huge show. No, but you've got to seek... You seek it out because people tell you to seek it out. Right, okay. You don't... It's not like on BBC One and you turn it on and it's there. People Are you might, suggesting that people don't turn on IT... People don't turn on ITV unless they're. In I the think mood for that nowadays sort of thing. Uh, Love Island's so well known. You're only you're not putting it on and going. Well, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So and then if someone goes, I watched that Love Island. I, was, I hated it. I thought you were. I thought you were a dick. I'm like, well, just no. Yeah. Who told you that wasn't going to happen? But it's the same with anything, isn't it? If I don't know, something like, more, like oh, I mean, God, I, I hate you on that. And it's like, well, I just don't watch it then, mate. The how do you, do you, you, I can't imagine you get much of that, though. 
Because um, you're quite an you're quite a, I mean amenable guy. I don't think you're you're not very polarizing. I can't imagine. No, I want to make money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't want to polarize anyone. Um, no, I don't get a huge amount of it. Yeah, I do now and again, but because I, I also think because I am amenable and yeah, I mean my this is quite shocking to some comedians. My main aim as a comedian is to make as many people laugh as possible. I know what a fucking seller. Yeah, um, and I think. Some people find that annoying. Do you find as well, have you got more comfortable with that as you've got older? And that I remember, I always quite enjoyed like the presenting side of things. Yeah. And sort of being a bit daft and talking about stuff that doesn't really matter. Yeah. And it would always niggle with me if I went to like a, n- a new material night with other comedians that I appreciate. Yeah. And I'd written a bit about how I can never be bothered matching socks. <laughs> And I'd be like, oh, everyone's going to think I'm such a dickhead. And I'm like, I think this is funny and I don't really give a yeah, fuck. Yeah, I think that's just part of, part of getting older and going, going through your career, right? Because do you think it's all, but do you think it's older or do you think it's also experience? Because then you look at someone like, I see someone like maybe, I'm, I'm using, Ramesh is a, only as an example because I know yeah. he got into it a bit later in life and he'll probably be well known by people listening to this podcast. Yeah, He went on the same journey, but he started comedy a lot later than us. So it can't just be an age thing. He had his head, yeah. Ramesh had his head fairly screwed on, but I imagine having talked to him the first couple of years, he wanted comedians to like... But like, I, yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's probably, you're probably right. It's something we all, we all go through. But I also think it is a little bit about age as well. It's about being comfortable in your own skin, isn't it? Yeah. And not worrying what other, what other people think of you. And you think you're pre- are you pretty comfortable with yourself now? Yeah, I think so. I'd say so. I still sort of, like, going back to the Edinburgh Fringe thing, I still think it always feels going up as a comic and just talking about a range of stuff and then going home again. Like it still feels like that. For, yeah. Cauliflower for half an hour. Yeah, I did do that. <laughs> uh, uh, that it's, that's still sort of critically frowned upon, but then you've just got to remember it's not necessarily, that's not what it's about at all. And the fact that people are coming to see it and enjoying it and you can then tour it around the country, it sort of mm. doesn't matter really. When you, were grow- when you were growing up, were you, was that the same sort of thing? When you were at school, did you like fairly amenable, just want to be liked? Yeah, I'd say so. But also I've got a part of me that is very, I, I would like to do the d- deliberately different controversial thing in a large group of people. Like if I was at school, like the sort of music that I like and the sort of things that I did and the sort of jokes that I made were always designed to stick out. Yeah, but me and you have fairly similar music to We don't, mate, because I've been watching your tour videos <laughs> and if you... I can't believe you would say that we have similar music mate, taste. McFly are a guitar-based band. I'm about to smash this glass table, mate. <laughs> Don't you dare. That coasters won't help what I'm about to do to this. Ed Gamble likes very heavy, very white. I like some very heavy metal music. But I don't like... Uh, let's go for, through some examples of... Some 41. Let's let's some, f- well, good. I don't know. All Killer No Fill is quite a good album. So, and Kerry King from Slayer is on that album. Yes. Um, some 41, I'm, I'm not listening to them now. What sort of person would listen to them now? I don't know. The same sort of person that listens to Paramore and Bowling for Soup. Ian. But Bowling for Soup, I went to see them live a few weeks ago and they were wonderful. I've heard they're actually still, they're still pretty well, they're, good. Well, they're, they're a joke. It's a, the whole thing's a joke. Yeah. But that's that whole pop punk thing is like, it's all... Well, it's, uh, there's, there's better examples of this that you should... Do you like NoFX? Yeah, I like NoFX. Right, so they're good. Yeah. So maybe you put that on a tour video rather than, oh, I'm listening to the new Paramore album. But the new Paramore album's really great. Oh, don't do this to me, mate. 
At school, when you were listening to your music, did everyone else at that school, or did you have a group that were into it? Yeah, for a bit. So when, so that was the era, era of new metal. So that was like yeah, 99. Then, so everyone was into that. And then they all dropped off after six months. See, but then at my school, it was like ha- hardcore house music. Right, yeah. That. <laughs> and if you didn't like that, then you got your head kicked in. What and year was, was that, though? Because you're a little bit younger than me, right? Yeah, but like not... I must have been, what, a year below you, two years below yeah. you? So, if that. It's, I think music-wise, it's not a big difference. I just think it's maybe a socioeconomic difference sure. rather than a... I, don't, I wouldn't call new metal posh music, though. I'm not saying posh, but what I'm saying is it's a bit different going, yeah, I was into like, heavy metal and everyone else was into new metal. It's still metal. It's got metal oh, no, no, in that's it. what I'm saying. So there was a group that was into metal, and that's how we all started to get into it. And then mm. they all stopped listening to it because it wasn't as trendy What sort anymore. of stuff did you get into at the beginning, then? Uh, we're talking Corn. We're talking Limp Bizkit. We're talking Slipknot. Cool. The big ones for me were Slipknot, System of a Down, Deftones. Yeah, de- I remember. I remember someone in my street wore a Deftones jumper, and I remember thinking that they must be like mentally. Insecure. I thought they were going to kill me in the street. <laughs> oh, so- Marilyn Manson as well. I like Marilyn Manson. Oh my! I mean, remember the big? Ru- I don't know if it is a rumor or not. The big thing was that he'd taken his ribs out so he could suck his own penis. That rumor has been attributed to so, so many, many people. people. In the it of definitely, music. it definitely started with Manson. No, it didn't. Prince, they had that with Prince. Oh, Prince! I, I didn't think, think of that. I yeah. think Mark Armand probably had that as well. I think Mark Armand also had um, that he went to. The, you heard about that one? That he went to the doctors and his because uh, he was he was feeling ill and then his stomach was just full of spunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, like his own or other people's. Yeah, that's all right. It, the rumor is that Mark Armand just spunked in his own mouth all day long. But I thought because he had his, I thought it's because he had his ribs taken out and then he was being able to suck his own belly and he got so carried away. Yeah. And it would be hard to make. Think no, how I think hard it, it was. Would be. I think it, the the insinuation was that it was a, a number of different gentlemen suitors. It's bloody hell! Think how many to be ill. It's almost like that isn't a true story. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you. So at school, you listened to heavy metal and talked about men's stomachs being full, full of spunk. I mean, I'll be honest. I haven't really moved on. No, and I've it's very def- much just get paid for talking about the uh, sort of spunky stuff. What so? What type of school were you at? What, what type of school do you think I was at? I think you were at. Um, I don't know the name of them. What there's like the paid one and the not paid one. You know, if you know the name of them, Ian, no one's going to think that you're not from the street. No, I've I'm doing just, I generally we, you know, council school. Was I at a council? No, school? No, I was at a council school. You know. <laughs> State school. What's it called? State school is what one's... State school is the... the that's the state one. That's my one. Yeah. That... <laughs> right, private school. I mean, if, if anyone was doubting the quality of state education... Mate. Um, so private, rubbish. Private school. Private school? Public school, which has always confused me. See? Now, you're confused yeah, as you're well, right. actually, yeah, dickhead. Because they don't... In America, they, public school is state school. See, you're telling me... You, this is confusing. Yeah, but so, it's private school or, or public school. You went school to private school? Yeah. A public... Uh, private public. <laughs> private public. Day school. It was a day school. You, you went to a limited school. company? Yeah. And, but not boarding? Not boarding. And, was it, and it was nice? What was that like? It's nice from what I can remember. I sort of had... Was know, it one of those, like, 
do do the sciences, do maths, do English, or is it more like, hey guys, do whatever like you're best at? Oh, it certainly wasn't one of those. It was do, it was do everything. And if you're not doing well in something, we will call you in for a chat. Really? Yeah, they're very uh, very results driven, very sort of driven by the the league table. Has that set you well in um, comedy? Because I always find it very hard to motivate myself. Oh, not at all. No, I'm terrible at motivating myself. I was not. The first school I went to, I was like top of everything. Mm-hmm. And then I went to that school, my secondary school, and immediately, because everyone was good and everyone was working hard, I immediately stopped stopped working and just did the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. I am really motivated to work when I know everyone's worse than me. Do you know what? This is honestly true. At school, I was the best at my school because... I was the best at my school. What a fucking cunty thing to ever say that <laughs> I was the highest academic male, I'd say, at my school. Mm-hmm. But, but you, were the only, you were the only male, right? I was the only... <laughs> I was at a convent and it was... Really <laughs> no, but academia wasn't the priority my school, I'd say, for the majority of people. It was hard house music. Hard house music, skinny Levi jeans and a Rockport boot. Are you familiar with the Rockports? No. It's like a, it's like a leather boot. Mm. Like a sort of, um, like, kickers. Did you ever wear kickers? I didn't wear kickers, but I was aware of kickers. It was like, it was like, imagine kickers, but like 300 quid more expensive. Right. Boom, rock ports. They still, my pair in my parents' house and they still like work. They've not even worn down. They're the hard. They still work. But they've not even like, they've not even like broken in that, in that long. You can tell, I'll walk the dog in them now. But then I went to u- university and then I just thought, this is an absolute joke because it really annoys me how when everyone else, like, that's why comedy annoys me. Yeah. I go to like open mic nights, like trying new material and I'll see all these people that are getting better. And you're like, oh, well, everyone, fuck off. Because, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, it, you go to Edinburgh and you're like, oh, f- everyone keeps getting better. Like, oh, those three people aren't here this year. That I'm, I've moved up three places. Yeah. And then three other people come along and are great. And you're like, I wish everyone... Why can't we all just stay where we are now? But you're getting better as well. Yeah, but then you all. But you don't notice that, right? Yeah, but then I always think I'm one person getting better, where there's like ten people get uh, getting better. So the odds of them get they've got a ten times more chance of being better than me. Those ten people. Does that make sense? No, because it, they don't combine their odds. But they do in terms of like where they sit in the comedy. Right. table of like getting get gigs and stuff you see I it want. as a table no I don't I don't see it as a table but I definitely think there's a place for everyone yeah there is but it's in their individual place so you don't need to worry about about them getting better Ian that's good for comedy in general surely but then if everyone stopped getting better we could all just chill the fuck out and carry on we could but the comedy would stagnate and then all the money would fall out of that's it. a good point actually you've done well there <laughs> you seem quite you just seem a lot, out of all the people I know, you just seem quite, like, content. And I always yeah. wonder where that comes, I always wonder where that comes from. I'm, I wouldn't say necessarily content. I think I'm quite hard on myself in terms of what I do and what I'm trying to get better at and trying to achieve stuff. Mm-hmm. And I definitely have days where I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, come on, mate. The motivation thing is a big issue for me, I think. I think I'm really... T- I mean, that's definitely my biggest downfall. I remember w- I was watching a TED talk, actually, on a train. Yeah. Um, about the people that are... Um, what's the word? <laughs> I don't know, it because I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> what's that word when you put 
you do stupid stuff and put off the task in hand. Procrastination. Procrastination and procrastination, right? What's... When people that just get ready well in advance. I mean, but procrastination would suggest they do the thing before they even know they need to do it. That's pretty much this guy at this TED Talk, man. He was handed yeah. in shit months in advance. Yeah, he wasn't even supposed to be there for that day, was he? He wasn't even at that TED Talk. He was, <laughs> he was a cleaner. The guy was keen as, keen as you like. And he was saying that between doing it too early and then leaving it too late, there's like a sweet spot in the middle yeah. that you need to be able to hit. And I always feel I'm... If you look at it as a bell curve, I'm definitely falling down last. Oh, yeah. oh, let's get this done ASAP. Same, absolutely. And the majority of my time is spent worrying about how late I'm doing something. That, how do you deal with that? I, I don't think I... The one thing I always hated from school that I feel I've got back in my life and I really need to sort out is I can never... I, I fucking do, but I can never like sit and have a drink or watch a film or play a computer game without thinking, you've got... X, Y, Z yeah. to get it done. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely the same. Where does that... Do you know, where does... I'll, I'll tell just so you give an idea. For me, that comes from my parents used to do everything. Like, they'd take me to any club I wanted to go to. Yeah. When we had a... When we went to, like, a friend's dinner party. What sort of club? Scouts. Uh, not Hard House. Hard House. <laughs> do you know what? We would go to them. I would go to, like, those nights. Swimming. Football, you yeah. name it. If we had like a friend inviting us around for dinner, we'd be the ones that like show up and the mum would come down like having just got out of the shower because we were 35 minutes early and we'd wait <laughs> in the car. No, my dad's the sort of person, you're like trying to finish your dinner as he's taking the plate to the sink. Right, I'm kind of that guy as well. But That seat, so... When it comes to washing up, I'm a precrastinator. Yeah, precrastinating yeah. for the washing up. But then, so where do you think this knowing that you're putting off tasks. I don't know. I think it's fairly recent as well for me. I don't know, maybe in the last three years, just the... It's knowing you're putting something off and then not enjoying your free time. Where does it come from? I'd love to... I, I want to get to the heart of it. So, I mean, it's quite interesting. This might get a little bit boring now, actually. I've, I've no, this started. is good. We've done the fun bit. Yeah. I've taught like... Um, can barely read, which is funny. <laughs> so now we can do something of some note, but a little bit dull. So I'm actually I'm actually listening to an audio book about this at the moment, right. which is about anxiety-based procrastination. Get it named or put it in the description. Which in many ways, is the ultimate form of procrastination, yeah. listening to an audio book about procrastination. <laughs> it's called The Now Habit. I'm just going to check to see who's who wrote it. Because um, it's genuinely good and it is helping me. But... What he suggests as a gentleman uh, is that procrastination is not really a thing. It's always a symptom of something else. Uh, I think that this is, this is what I've definitely come to realise. Uh, Neil, Neil Fiore, PhD. Neil Fiore? Yeah. Yeah, good guy. And, and I've got three hours, 57 minutes remaining on that. Um, so it's always endemic of something else. So what made sense to me when I was listening to it was that he says with a lot of people he's been working with, it's always fear of failure. So it's always, if you work, the, the fear is, if you work your absolute hardest and do everything on time mm -hmm. and someone still doesn't like it and says it's not good enough, yep. there's no excuse there apart from, to, apart from to say, well, I'm not good enough for that. Yep. Whereas if you work half-assed at something and hand it in late and they say this isn't good enough, you're like, well, it's because I worked half-assed at it. And yeah, I if I'd worked my hardest, it would have been great. Yeah, fear of failure is literally the thing I yeah. put at the end of my book for why I yeah. feel millennials struggle. Because yeah. 
as a millennial, I feel like we were always sold this idea of like perfect. Like yeah. Our parents are like, you can grow up to be whatever you want to be as long as you yeah. want to be it. They forget to mention hard work and drive and all that. Which is so, that's such a destructive thing to tell children, I think. Uh, it's, oh, I mean, brutal. It's, my, my girlfriend was told that when she was very young, that it's just like, oh, you can be whatever you want to be. And uh, she went around for the next year saying that she wanted to be a strawberry. Yeah. <laughs> so, you can't be a strawberry. Uh, and, then you've got, and then you've got to tell her, you can't be a strawberry, mate, you're a human being. And even if you did become a strawberry, there's no money in it. Yeah. There's absolutely no money. And the you're not going to be the best strawberry. You'd have to, like, the only way you'd make money is just yourself. Yeah. And then you wouldn't be around to enjoy the profits. You'd be all drunk right up, wouldn't you? But it is. So, it is. That's a, and, yeah. and then we're sold this idea perfect. And then because of social media and all that, I, I think this affects some people more than others. But then you look at other people's lives and everyone's filtered their life and yeah. it all looks perfect. Yeah. I right. get a little bit with tour gigs. Yeah. Because I, every, I do generally think every, t- you've got good gigs and bad gigs on tour. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, of course. But like, I've had some gigs that have gone never bad. The good thing about your own tour is that I don't think I've ever had one that's gone bad. Yeah. But other ones have gone fine. And yeah. I go on everyone else's Twitter and I'm like, everyone smashes every single gig. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. am I doing wrong? <laughs> um, so it's that, the filter thing. And then, yeah, the idea of failing just means that you never really push yourself to do anything ever. So, yeah, I think perfection is something to get over. It just doesn't exist as a concept. And, and, um, the, and the, I read a really good book called um, by Linda Papadopoulos. Oh, yes. Selfie. And it's like the thing that she mentions is two things with perfect life is the thin line between it being perfect and a fucking disaster is like a knife edge. Yeah. Something's either perfect or fucked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that pie is like a very narrow slice of yeah. perfect and the rest of it is you fucked it. Yeah. And then also because perfect by its definition is external based, you mm-hmm. constantly feel judged. Yeah. Because you can't deem something perfect, other people have got to deem it. Yes, that's very so good. So then point. you're just in this constant flux of like, what do other people what are other people making of this and I'm gonna leave it because it'll probably be shit anyway. Yeah. Which is probably not a great way to be. But And the root the root thing that he talks about a lot in this audiobook I'm listening to. And it's very interesting. I didn't realise I was doing it, and I think we all do it to a certain extent, especially working in, in entertainment, is that you shouldn't attribute how you do in your career to your self-worth. So they should be completely they should be completely divided. So if you go and do a gig and it doesn't go well, yeah. you shouldn't kick the shit out of yourself as a person. Yeah. <laughs> it should be that bit that day at work didn't do well. Yeah, if you don't make it into the smoothie that day, it's a strawberry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you're, it's like, I think we all do it. Like if I'm going around going, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to work hard at that because if it goes badly, then I've worked my hardest and it turns out I'm not good enough. Yeah. It's just, it's nothing to do with how you are as a person. I find that as well a lot when you talk to people about work in general, like what you do, like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's yeah, yeah, shit. yeah. Like, yeah. No, but I like you as a person yeah, yeah, and yeah. I want to get to... N- know you as a yeah. person and I'm not going to think more or less of you as a person or well I mean again you probably do to an extent but that's a personality flaw on your behalf yeah and um, I'm not going to think more or less of your person de- depending on what you tell me you do for a living yeah you're not defined by what you do for a living or the level to which you do it but then also what you do for a living is again another thing I've been hearing a lot in books I've been reading and stuff is you forget how many hours a week for your life you do that thing yeah so you probably should be doing something that you would tell someone at a dinner party. Yeah, something other than... Unless you're an, an undercover cop. 
Unless you're an undercover cop. Or, to be honest, if you're a comedian, no one else wants to talk about anything else at fucking dinner party. Yeah, again, there's no... I don't know... I always worry this sounds dickish, but I was, like, I've been at weddings where it's like... Oh? Yeah. Comedian? I, I don't. You're yeah. going to get a few laughs in your speech? <laughs> Maybe, but also I don't really... I'll go and do get them tomorrow at my job. Like it yeah, and it's yeah. I don't. People know what... find it re- people find it really interesting, and I sort of see why. It probably seems quite exciting and glamorous, but then they talk to you like, say, you're at a wedding. It's like, oh, we're on the table with the comedian. I'd give them ten minutes before they massively regret sitting on the table with the comedian. <laughs> it's like it's mainly driving, mate. Anyway, let me take you through my favourite service stations. <laughs> my girlfriend wants to be a strawberry. <laughs> <laughs> Do you f- is it that there is a you can? There's nothing worse than the drop in someone's face once they hear you're a comedian and then talk to you for five minutes yeah and realise you're not funny all the time no and then you can and then sometimes you'll go like oh what do you do I'm a builder would you want to build a wall yeah. and you can they're like well, why would you I don't understand <laughs> is that one of those comedy jokes I don't get it it's really weird how we but again that's that thing about people want to put values on someone based yeah. on like what they do because it's easier yeah. than getting to just talk to someone and know someone so I'm really trying to not procrastinate at the moment that's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to write a new show but I'm trying to also use that book to to get through doing it and part of it is about just sitting down and starting isn't it that, do you know a really good thing for your Edinburgh show that my friend does mm-hmm. changed me for writing my book is never get to the logical end like never end on like a like you're writing something never end on a thing right because in the next again day you're fucked yeah finish the thing then maybe go right one more premise before bed there's a premise sleep and then you've got that you've premise got to, to start, start off your next again day but I think my major issue is starting doing it in the first place yeah how far because what what where are we now it is end of May mm-hmm. which even weirdly this is the first year I'm not doing Edinburgh and I just looked at the di- saw end of May and had a knot in my stomach because yeah, yeah, for the last 10 years it's been the end of May and I've not got an Edinburgh show yeah it's a bad time I'm actually as far forward of my Edinburgh show this year having, yeah. that I'm not doing it where are you at now end of May well it's, it's, it's a weird one because I think this is my fifth solo show <clears throat> and I think I've had every possible different experience with writing solo shows in terms of how far along I am and mm. how far along I should be. But this one is the first year I have enough time. I've done enough. I can go on stage and talk for an hour. Already? Already. But it is not funny. <laughs> so, so normally, I think the last two or three years, at this stage, I'm going on stage and talking for 35 minutes. It's all pretty good. And I just hope that sort of grows and I just yeah. keep doing it. Well, that's that where we were enough. last year, me and you did New Zealand. Yeah, and that's where we were. And last you year. had a really tight, well, probably more than 25, but we were doing 20, 25 a yeah, night, yeah, weren't yeah. we? Me yeah. and Ed done a mixed spell thing in New Zealand. And yeah, you had like a really tight 30 minutes of yeah. stuff then. And all that happened with that was I just kept doing it and then it just grew and grew and ended up being hour and 20. And the great, the thing I like about, the thing I do like about writing in a short period of time is I was talking to Phoebe. Do you know yeah. Phoebe? At Comedy Central, she's working at Comedy Central. Right, okay. Stand-up show. She directs some Edinburgh shows. People doing their second hour going, I've got no stuff. Yeah. I'm like, you probably actually waste more stuff in your first hour at Edinburgh 
yeah. shoehorning all the desperate bits mm-hmm. from like, because you move so much as a person in like say five, six years when you start comedy. Whereas now, even if you write half an hour of stuff that feels totally separate, because you wrote it in the space of two or three months, your headspace is actually in quite a... Se- mm-hmm. And you'll find a through line and a narrative Definitely. for it I much quicker. Totally. So that's where you're at now. You've almost got that through line in that narrative, but no one... Yeah, I think so. Fits. I think it's that's coming together. Do you have an <coughs> idea of what... Do you have a theme for it this year? No, I never I never have a theme when I go into it. I, just, I think you're right. I think you just start writing and then mm-hmm. one emerges, which is a bit of a pain because it always emerges after the title and the, the photo and all of that sort of stuff. Oh, when, yeah, when you, I, always, I always have a... I remember reading a Simon Amsel blurb once. It was like... I just liked the way it was, it was like him, his credits, a little list of the rule of three thing that the show was about. Yeah. And then a quote. I was like, I'll do that. Yeah. But every year, what only one of the three things. Yeah. So like the, the 40 word blurb. So the three, those three things, if you're mentioning the 40 word blurb, that must be pretty important. Yeah, yeah. None of them are ever in it. Once I put feminism, you can't just say you're going to talk about yeah, feminism really and not mention to, it. Yeah, you Didn't re- talk about it. <laughs> Didn't talk about it. Didn't talk about it. That's amazing. No, I never... That is a dangerous game to play, actually saying what the show's going to be about in February, I think. So I'm always just like, Ed Gamble's back with another funny show. Here's some quotes. He's going to do some talking. Yeah. I can promise that. I can promise that I'll walk on stage and talk for at least 50 minutes. Yeah, but then that's the thing. You always get to about the same place. You've got shows that you're happier Mm -hmm. and less happy with, but ultimately, you've got 50 minutes that you think is good. I think I know what the ending is this year as well. So, oh, we'll we'll come and see it. Do this will be out before Edinburgh, I reckon. I think I'm just. Get, I really like silly end. I really like silly endings now. Because I played the bassoon at the end of my last show. Yeah, that was. A, I remember talk. We talked about that in New Zealand, yeah. and it's that thing about. I remember when we first started mentioning that. You're like, is that Matt? And then once you do it, you're like, of course I'd do this. Yeah. It was a really stupid ending. It was so much fun. So I think I'm going to try and have another big silly ending. I came out, and then I ended up coming out in a child's micro scooter at the end of mine. Just for the fun of it. Oh yeah, because of that that gig. Yeah, yeah, that's the end of my book as well. So you have Great. to. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you've been going to Edinburgh for ages because mm-hmm. I remember the sort of how we met. Me and my friend, remember I told you this. We used to yes. go see the Durham Review every the Durham year. Durham Review, yeah. And so then we, in... one year it was you, Nish Kumar, mm-hmm. Tom Neenan are the three I remember. Yeah. And I think I've told you before there was a sketch where. Now, I'm worried that we've affiliated this name, but I'm sure it was in it, where Nish would just stare out to the audience. Yeah. And I'm sure, I hope, that you called it this, like, Stereation Guy. No, that is a name you came up with. I did it, my friend did. This, this, this is a nickname for Nish that you and your friend came up with because you used to come and see the Durham Review. But he did do the stereo. And you used to call Nish the Asian Guy. But he did stare. And then once from the Durham Review, I got a text from my friend going, mate, you won't believe this. Stary Asian guys on Mock of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Stary Asian guy, yeah. No, we, that's something you came up with. Yeah. And but when you started doing stand-up, you, um, well, when you were doing, when I first saw you do stand-up, was you were doing it as the character. Yeah. Selston Crump. 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 Nearly. Selston Crump. Uh, a romantic novelist character. So it's because I started doing sketch comedy, so I just thought mm. the natural thing to do was was character comedy. And then I started comparing a gig in Durham that I set up. And then did you do that as character? No, that was just myself. Did you have stand up when you were doing the comparing, or did you just go out and chat? I had bits. I would write bits, but it was just a lot of chat as well. 
But I was doing the character and I did the character in competitions and stuff. And then actually in 2008, when someone from our management came to, came to see me mm-hmm. and said, are you going to do more straight, oh, straight stand-up? And you were doing character then, sorry? I was in characters in sets, but then I was comparing to myself. Cool. And they came to see me when I was comparing to myself and then said, we'd like to sign you. Are you going to do more straight stand-up? Because if you do stand-up as yourself then we'll get you into the comedy zone, which is this big, um, it was, it was this big mixed bill thing in Edinburgh. And I went, yeah, all right. So that's how the, <laughs> that's how I start, decided to is do that, stand-up. Is that literally... Yeah, I was like, yeah, go fuck it. The thing it. is, and again, it sounds, that could be spun, couldn't it, in terms of like a big comedy management sign a guy and go, do stand-up and you'll get on this thing and you yeah. do it. But it's probably you were wanting to do this. Yeah, I was wanting to do it anyway. And, it was, and so a lot of my initial stand-up was quite sort of, not theatrical, but it was sketchy. Like I carried on doing the romantic novel. I had like a poetry thing, and I had like this bizarre like anagram thing. So it was about like the anagram quite, thing was brilliant. Very silly, very silly fruit anagrams. Yeah, about why I would not eat certain fruits because of the anagrams. I'm trying to see if I can remember them all. Mango, because you hate that was the fan. Um, mango, because you hate watching. But men leave. Yeah, I mean that was the worst and one. Mango as an anagram of mango. That one came in the middle. No, that's what you. That's you open. The whole you open with that. Mango is not an anagram. No, you open. It was got a space in it. <laughs> and you that's open, not how anagrams. That you open with the mango bit, and then you done mango a, a few times, if I remember correctly. <laughs> um, I can't. I can't even remember some of them. There was a pineapple one, wasn't there? We'll not do them all. Yeah, pineapple was ape nipple. <laughs> um, and uh, pomegranate. Oh, yeah, that was a bad one. I'm not doing that one. Oh, yeah. There's some, there's some ones now. Do you ever look back on some of your stuff and go, that, yeah. if I did this now, that would be considered problematic? I would be in, I would be in the papers. Yeah. <laughs> and not the garden with some stars beside my name. <laughs> so, so then so you went from, so the Durham Review, is that when you first ever done comedy? Uh, yes. So just, uh, I, I, I went to see them when I first arrived at Durham University. Did you pick Durham thinking I could get in the Durham Review here? No, I picked Cambridge because I thought I could get in the Footlights, but unfortunately Boom. I could not get into Cambridge. I picked Oxford thinking I would get into the Oxford Review. Yeah. Could get into Oxford. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that bloody wall in front of us, mate. What's that bloody exam, mate? Yeah. They asked me, the, the, I'm still angry about it now. Do you know, it was, they made us read a, law case for like three days yeah got into the room what is a white lie <laughs> what bastards yeah it's what you've told us to read that case and then you're a bloody room full of white people I know, to us. I know. <laughs> and my oh, my dad had come in a jumper he'd painted the house in which I don't think helped <laughs> I don't think that helped my chances at all bloody hell um, yeah, I, I... So tried Cambridge, didn't I? I tried Cambridge, but, you and, were but going... I, did, I didn't deserve to go to Cambridge because I didn't work hard enough, and the only reason I wanted to go to Cambridge was because I saw the footlights. The footlights toured to our school, um, and I saw the footlights, and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen, and these people are not that much older than me. I can definitely... That I was exact same feeling when I... But I went to the Edinburgh Festival and saw the Oxford Review. Yeah. The, I, and annoyingly, I didn't realise that there's a Cambridge footlights, which is a better one. Yeah. I didn't heard of Cambridge, I don't think. Well, I didn't know they had a comedy thing. Yeah. I couldn't, but yeah, it blows, blows your, it's the age thing that blows your mind, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because it, 
I, I mean, I don't know how, in retrospect, how good the show actually was, but I just remember sitting there going, this is the best, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I mean, it was, it was a good group of people. Who was the, can you remember who was the review? Because that, that was at your school. Uh, Tom Baston. Brilliant. Writer uh, of Bed Plebs. Yes. Uh, Stefan Goloszewski. Oh, good. I'm not, what's this Stefan do now? Uh, he writes that, it's called Mum. That's the one. Yeah. And he wrote him and her and stuff. I think he, he was in it. It was, I think it was directed by Mark Watson and Tim Key as well. That would make sense. That's about right, age-wise. Um, anyway, it was amazing. Yeah. It was, re- it was really great. Bird um, was probably kicking around around that time as well. Yeah, it might be pre... I think it's slightly pre-Bird, because when I went into uh, Durham and did the Durham Review, that was our, our whole sort of class of student comics. Was like was... Me, Nish, Tom Neenan. And, and the in-betweeners. Pete, Pete, Wright, Pete Riley. And then, yeah, like, yeah, Joe Thomas, Simon Bird, Johnny Sweet. Mental. All of that, all of that lot. Uh, yeah, and then a few others after that. But a really, like, a good load of people came, came out of that. And the Durham Review didn't have a particularly good alumni list. No. There's some good people who've come from it, but not, like, like Footlights and the Oxford Review, to an extent, is just an absolute It's because, the, yeah, the Oxford Review and the... Cambridge Fields is such a stellar lineup. Anything pales in comparison. Like yeah. Edinburgh's got the improvers, and we've actually got quite a few people come from that. Yeah. But you can, do you know what I mean, you get that in a year at the Cambridge Footlights. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, then and then so then and then you done that with them. Yeah. So I went when I went to Durham. They were like handing out flyers for the show, the Durham Review, and then being like, "Oh, and also we're auditioning. Come and see the show, and then and then come and audition." I went to see the show, and. I mean, I, just, I thought, this is, not, this is not very good. Is that what you thought? I could do better than this. Was yeah. Tom and Nish and stuff in it already? No, no, they, no. Your they, year? They, no, no. They were my, they're my year at university, but they weren't in it. So I went the first, I, like, the first week I arrived, I auditioned and got in. And then they Did you do only... any performing before that? I just wonder what made you want no, to do I acted. It? I did acting at school and stuff. Yeah. I wanted to be an actor for a, for a long time. Mm. Um, you know, uh, but the only thing that's put me off that is actually seeing how actors have to live, which is just on luck a lot of the time oh the idea of there's a great thing about stand up to eat and again I've got it similarly with presenting my yeah. friends that are presenters you can't you can't show up and present it <laughs> <laughs> like comedy you can go to a pub and put on a gig yeah, you can't yeah. be like oh hi um, I was wondering if you want I was wondering if you want me to host a sort of like supermarket based game show maybe oh man that's funny um, yeah exactly you can make your own you can Make your own luck as a comic. Right? I love the immediacy of stand-up as well. Like yeah. I remember as a kid, I'd done a little bit of magic, not a lot, but any magic trick I had, then you have to place this card before in the box, like, fuck off. Yeah. Like, I needed something that was like, you hold that in your hand and then you make it go. Yeah, yeah. Anything that was like, put this card, three cards behind this, I'm like, no, yeah. Yeah. I want something that you can just immediately do it. And you can immediately see the results of as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I loved it. And the and it was really it was a really fun thing to do, being in, being in university, doing that, and sort of, I didn't really concentrate on my course a lot of the time because I was busy writing sketches. I found stand-up in my fourth year of uni yeah. and you can literally look at my exam results and there's about a 25% yeah. drop in my <laughs> The minute I started doing it, I was like, it, it makes sense. Yeah. This is, a, this is it. Yeah, totally. So what I want to do. Everyone was so happy for me apart from my mentor. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I was like, going to Kirkcaldy and performing to no one. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, man. And finally, before we go, I've got to, because me and you, well, I chickened out. 
we ki- I still feel like we got our first tattoos together. Well, we didn't, because you chickened out. I did no. In my defence, you planned, you planned what, your first tattoo. Yes, but also we got the sort of off the peg tattoo. Well, we didn't. I'm still saying we. I don't know. I was gonna get Millhouse from The Simpsons in a Superman <laughs> outfit. That was so we went for my first a, ever tattoo. We're in, in New Zealand. Set the scene. Set the scene. This was in New Zealand. I had decided I was going to get a tattoo in New Zealand. I'd researched the place. <laughs> Um, and there's two really good studios in New Zealand next to each other. There's one called Two Hands, uh, which is like the custom place. And there's one called Flash City, where you can just go and get stuff off the wall. Um, so I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to go and get something off the wall. Mm-hmm. And you and Rose Matafeo came with me. Uh, and I did a bit of research, looked at the wall, came back a few days later. And I saw something that jumped out at me. And I really liked it. So we all went. And, he, and Ian just went, I might get one as well. <laughs> We're like, okay, that sounds a little bit of a say, random decision. This is, this is the thing about being a procrastinator. Do you know the, what it is, is? I've always vaguely thought about getting a tattoo, but the yeah. minute someone's like, I've done all the research, I've planned it out, and yeah. I'm going to physically go there. Yeah. I'm like, well, all I have to do is be near this person, <laughs> and a thing gets done. Yeah. That is honestly why I thought I'm going to have a tattoo then. But you clearly, what me and Rose could both tell was that you didn't see anything you genuinely wanted. No, nothing. But because you were there and you'd sort of said you were going to get one, yep. you pointed at that Millhouse wearing a Superman outfit and went, yep. I think I'm going to get that. And we, we sort of went, are you sure about that? It's when a guy went to me and went, oh, cool, like, do you really like Millhouse? And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think people like the Simpsons. Like, there's no one whose favourite Simpsons character is Millhouse. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it would be my only tattoo. I'm very glad you didn't get Millhouse wearing a Superman outfit. Like, that's mad. But you planned what you wanted. You talked to the guy about it, yeah, and then you, you went and got it somewhere else. Which yeah. So, anyway, so you got the first one, and now you're yeah. bloody splattered in them. Well, you know, I'm not. I'm not where I want to be yet with them. I've got how, seven. I've got seven now. How are you going to go? What, are you, you, I, I reckon from looking at you, it looks like you're well on your way to one bottom half of leg full coverage. I reckon you'll. Yeah, be I think I think we're going to get there with the lower legs. I think um, I probably I'm not going to go too heavy on the arms, but like this, I got this lower arm one, and that was it's not not a mistake. I fucking love it, but uh, I did not think I was going to get that done until I was at Brighton Tattoo Convention and found a man with this design and went, I'll put that on my lower arm, please. And oh, it was, I dear. said it before I even thought about it. Um, and then every now and then, so with that one, do you sometimes get out, you're wearing a T-shirt and you're like, oh, you can tell I've got tattoos now. Well, that, I quite like that. What I like about my, the placement of all of mine is I can just put on long sleeves and trousers and no one, and from you couldn't tell from my face that I've got tattoos. No. So you've I got a non, like you've got to, a You've got a sort of like... Henna tattoo face. Yeah. <laughs> so I can I can get away with it. No one would necessarily think I had any. But I, I, I fucking love it. What made you get them now? Uh, this this point. Just because you're I'm really into I'm really into the artwork. I'm into certain artists. There's so much information out there and you can follow artists on Instagram and you can get into their particular yeah. style. I've decided that I want them all to be black ink and they're all of a certain style, like black work stuff and a little bit traditional. And I'm, so I'm into it. See, this is the thing that always surprised me about you because you say that you're like a procrastinating. The amount you know, like, I still don't know anything about a good place to get a tattoo because I do fucking, I don't organise anything. But, I feel, yeah, I've got a level but it doesn't of feel like organisation. It's just something I'm into. So yeah, if I'm genuinely actually. enjoying it, then it's fine. So like... So turning over a new hour for Edinburgh, I sort of feel like, oh, fucking hell. 
I've got to do that now. Yeah. But I don't have to get tattoos, and I quite enjoy it. Yeah, it almost feels like if my job became playing computer games, yeah. I would write loads of stand-up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know, I think, I, I'm, I don't know how much further I'll go on the arms, but certainly I think the lower legs are quite... Fair game. Fair game. And I told I told you before we started recording. I sort of I'm wearing shorts today, and I saw I saw my legs in the mirror, and I was like, look a bit bare now. I could probably yeah. I need to fit something on. What yeah. you got? What you got planned? What's the next one? Next one is actually below the the mag- magician's hands. So magician's hands is the first. This is the one that Ed got off the peg, and it does look great actually. Yeah, it still looks good. His heel. The shadowing on the bottom of the hands actually. I just don't know how good cool, that was. Right? Um, uh, I've, I'm, there's a guy called Ian Seller who is based in Bristol but is doing a guest spot in London and he does these amazing uh, coffin coffin things so a I'm coffin getting, on your leg? I'm getting a coffin on my leg there, like a cheery a, coffin the or... perfect the perfect uh, shape for that it's going to be a really good placement oh, I can't wait coffin on your leg coffin on my leg mate well I think that what a way to end it <laughs> Ed Gamble that's the name of your next tour Coughing on my leg. Coughing on my leg. And uh, thanks for coming in, man. Thanks for having me, mate. And then you're doing a... Where can we hear more from you? Where can we find you? Um, well, I'm doing the Edinburgh Festival. This will be out by then. Yeah, and it'll be great and it'll be written. Hey, Ed, if you're listening to this, well done on writing the show, man. But Ed, I really loved the wacky bit at the end. Yeah, <laughs> it was so crazy. Well, you slap uh, that man around the face with the <laughs> coughing on your leg. <laughs> Uh, that show is called Blizzard, and uh, so I'll, I'll be at the Edinburgh Fringe with that, and uh, probably on tour in spring 2019. And on Twitter, Instagram? Twitter, at Ed Gamble Comedy. Instagram? At Ed Gamble Comedy. Um, email? Come cut that out. Cut that out. Can we cut that out? <laughs> We're going to cut the email bit out. No, beep it. Better, well, beep it, and then you were so close to getting his email. And hopefully, there'll be a. a, a the, keep an eye out. I'm doing a. I'm doing a podcast about food with James Acaster called Off Menu. That'd be so much fun. Yeah, we've recorded a few. It's really just good fun. even having this conversation has reminded me about two or three things I was going to talk to you about that I didn't. Don't. But we've had a lovely time, and we've done. You know what I mean? We've you, done, mate. You've had. An, you've talked to me enough. I'm going to make another coffee and slam it off the glass table. <laughs> Bye everyone, Uh, bye bye! You're ready to add on yet! So there you go, episode 5, Ed Gamble in the can. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to give us a 5 star rating. I was going to say a 5 star rating if you like, but if you've got this far, do you know what I mean? Fucking hell, give us a 5 star. Um, before we go, big thanks to Harry and Chris for the theme tune. They're great guys. If you want to check out Ed Gamble, he will be at the Edinburgh Festival this August. So go and check out Ed Gamble. Um, I've, I've, he's so well known, Ed. I think, do you know what? I'll get his um, details up just so you can get them. I think that would be a bit, you know, out of order of me. I'll just look him up now so I get the website right. Yeah, if you want to check Ed Gamble out, he is at www.edgamble.co.uk and he's Ed Gamble Comedy, if I remember correctly, on Twitter. So it's edgamble.co.uk and Ed Gamble Comedy and Ed will be at the Edinburgh Festival this year. My friend Steve Bougier saw him in preview and says it's fantastic. So go and check that out. Apart from that, big thank you to Daisy for producing. Big thank you to... Harry and Chris, have I said that already for the theme tune? I can't remember. This is my, I'm being honest, this is my second time recording this. 
So I can't remember who I've thanked and haven't. But Harry and Chris, big thanks to them uh, for the theme tune. They are at the Edinburgh Festival as well. Check them out. And a big thank you to you for listening. Don't forget you can go to my website, iandoesjokes.com, for tour dates. And to download the Not Ready to Add Out Yet book. It's the most I've ever worked on something. It's the proudest I've ever been on something. And I can't wait for you guys to read it. So please, get it downloaded. Get it read. Tell me what you think. And I'll see you all next week where I'll be interviewing my mum, Mother Sterling, on the podcast. Thanks again. Have a nice week. Bye-bye.